Romans chapter 14. When the letters were written that Paul wrote and that anybody else wrote, these were not letters that were written with chapter breaks. They were not letters that were written with numbers beside each sentence or every couple sentences or even a break in the middle of a sentence if there was a long sentence. Um, when I say to turn with me to Romans chapter 14, we'll be beginning in verse 1. Uh, all that that is is it's a... Uh, it's convenience for us to be able to go to a place and find the exact spot where we can where we can read, and we can be in unity together as we as we read the the scripture. But here's the thing: these were actual letters that Paul wrote. These are letters. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Um, up to this point, he had not gone to Rome. He had met many people that were in Rome, but. Uh, uh, because he had met them at feasts and festivals and, and throughout the various churches in Asia and over there in Antioch, Syria and, and uh, down in Jerusalem. And he, he met a lot of Christians that came from Rome, traveled from Rome, and they would meet up as believers, but then they'd go back into Rome. And so he had a lot of friends. Chapter 16, you will see, um, and we're not going to get into there today at all, but, but in chapter 16, you're going to see that Paul has a lot of people that he knows in Rome, and yet he's never set foot in Rome at the time of his writing. And so he writes a letter to Rome, and as he writes this letter, this letter that you can imagine, uh, they didn't have, you know, uh, phones back in that day, you know, uh, they didn't have internet, they didn't have, you know, TV they didn't have telephones. They didn't have... Can you imagine, kids, what it would have been like without all of those things? I mean, when you wanted to go somewhere, it was a long trip. I mean, when, you, when he wanted to go from, from uh, you know, the, the Israel border all the way into Rome, he had to get on a boat. And the boat was not one that had, you know, twin screw Mercuries on the back, you know, big motors on the back. They had guys down there going, you know, and they were rowing. Can you imagine? It's, it's wild. It's a whole different scenario. And yet, to get a, a letter to a place like that, they didn't have, you know, uh, the postal service, you know, they didn't just stick it in a, in a, in the mailbox and put, you know, the, the right amount of postage on it. And then it would get there eventually. It was being very deliberate and assigning a person and praying through as a church like this, we might go, you know, we really, we really need to get a letter out to, you know, uh, Redlands, California. And so here's what we're going to do. Scott, we're going to send you because that's what the Lord has called us to do. So we're going to send Scott and he's going to take off and we're going to give him a letter and off goes Scott. And maybe five months later, Scott shows up in California because it was a long trek. And so when Paul wrote a letter, he didn't mince words. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't overuse words. He, he spoke what he needed to speak. And he was speaking to the church, the people. When I say church, we can sometimes get confused on that, can't we? Because we, we, I get this idea that there was a church building, you know, with a steeple on top, and the people were meeting in that building. But that's not how the church met back in that time. They met in homes. 
or they met in areas. They may be met down by a seashore, or they met out in a field, or they met on a mountainside, or they met in a home. They met somewhere, but they didn't have a designated church building, if you will. Not at this time, at least. And so Paul sends a letter to the people who are Christians in Rome. And so as this letter gets into Rome and they begin to read it, there are no chapter breaks. There are no numbers alongside. You know, uh, the, the courier didn't say, hey, pay attention to Romans 8.28, okay? He, he, there's no, you know, there's no chapter breaks or verse breaks there. You don't have that. And so here's what it is. They read it as a, as a letter. And so we're going to read this as a letter. I mean, getting into our minds, we're going to read all of chapter 14 today as a letter, as a letter. Now, understanding that Paul has been in talking about in chapters uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, and even into 16 some, somewhat, he's now in these last five chapters of the book of Romans or of the letter to the Roman church, to the Roman believers. He's writing a, as I did a message about four weeks ago, I did a message on Christianity 101. You remember that? We talked about here this is just Christian knowledge. This is just Christian basics. These are things that we should, should know that we should know that there's a, a, a parameter for, for how it is that we should live, what it is that we should say, or how it is that we should interact with people, and so on and so forth as Christians. Paul was attempting to get that across. And so as Paul would send this to the mess- by messenger, he would take it to the church, and basically as the church would gather, this guy would stand up and he would say, this letter is from Paul. In fact, he'd start his letter off and he'd, he, he would say, okay guys, Paul has written a letter. This is what he says. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures uh, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. And by the way, this is one of the longest sentences in the Bible. But it's a salutation. He starts the letter off by saying, Paul, Paul, it's my writing, it's me. It's Paul the Apostle writing you a letter and I'm going to be here and I'm going to encourage you with these things. These are things that we ought to know as Christians. These are things that we ought to be aware of and that we should assimilate into our lives as Christ would have us to assimilate them into our lives so that we can walk accordingly in the world around us. Now, why am I going so far down this road? Well, because here's the thing. Sometimes we can break down passages so much that we lose sight of the context of what a letter is written in. What, what an epistle is written in or what the, this, this letter to the Romans is written in. We, we begin to break it down so much and dissect it so much that we lose sight that this is just a letter that Paul is writing. And he's saying, these are things that I want to pass on and convey to you guys as believers. I love you guys. I hope to be there one day and I will be there one day, Lord willing. But until I get there, these are the things that I want to pass on to you. And this will be for your greater spiritual growth. If you, att- uh, you uh, assimilate these things into your life and make them a part of who you are as, as a Christian. Okay? 
And so as he writes this letter, the messenger would stand up or possibly the, the leader or the pastor of that church or that, that group of believers that would assemble. He would say in chapter 14, in the area of chapter 14, as he's gone through Christianity 101, we're now up at this place of, of contentions and liberties that we have as believers and the contentions, the contentions that can arise out of the liberties that we have in Christ. Okay, And so in verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, and this is the letter, he says, so guys, listen, receive one who is weak in the faith, He's talking to the body of believers. He's not just talking to the leaders. He's talking to you and me if we were sitting there. And he's talking to us today too. Receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who's weak, he eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who doesn't eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God Thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he doesn't eat and give God thanks. And he gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, guys, we live to the Lord. And if we die, gang, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. Do you see? We get it. Do we get it? If we're alive, we live for the Lord. If we die, we're dying to the Lord. Do you get it? It's about the Lord, he's saying. For, this, for to this end, Christ died. And he rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's saying, why are you doing the judging when in all actuality God hasn't called you to be the judge? God's the one that's going to be the judge and you're going to be standing before that, that, that judgment seat of the Lord just as well as the other person is going to be standing before the judgment seat. In light of what Paul's writing here, he's saying you might want to watch your own life before you start judging someone else. Be careful, right? Isn't that what he's saying? Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ for it's written, as I live, says the Lord in Isaiah chapter 45, he says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Then he goes back into his narrative, Paul does, and he says, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Paul then says something that is a very hard thing to hear, isn't it? He says this, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. 
Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Well, have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Father, we have before us an area of discussion and exhortation of liberty as well as how we deal with those who don't necessarily see things the way that we ourselves may see something. Speak into our heart those areas that might be calloused, the ears that might not want to hear what we're about to hear. When we came into this building and we come to church, anytime we come to church, we, we come, and anytime we open up your word of God, we come, hopefully and prayerfully, not with preconceived ideas of what it is that we want you to make it say, But we come to you in this building praying that you, God, would change us if we don't line up with you. That you would break maybe tradition in our mind of what everyone might think is right or what everyone might think is wrong. Lord, we want to please you. We want to follow you. So you mold and you shape us. For Lord, we know that you'll never lead us down the wrong path. Man will, even good intended, in, in, even a man with good intentions will lead us down bad paths at times because he does not see with your eyes. Only you know how to lead us. Only you know how to show us the, the path that leads towards you. Help us, Lord, to see and help us to not be formed and fashioned by what we have learned in the past necessarily at least not those things that are not of you, those things that are not consistent with your scripture. And so, Lord, we lift that to you. I pray, God, that you would enlighten our hearts this day. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a problem that we have in the church. It It was a problem in the church at this time, right? It was, a church, it was a problem in that as Paul is dealing with these things, he's saying, and, and a lot of it's focusing on meat, right? A lot of it's focusing on meat because there was, understand, know this. We might look at that and go, come on, really? This is not a, this isn't a, uh, you know, something that, that they should have even struggled with. But if you were born and raised as a Jew, for instance, there were certain meats you could eat and certain meats you couldn't eat. Now all of a sudden, there was meat that you could eat as a Christian. 
But God cleansed it. He says, it's not the, the, the meat that is unclean. Christ has made you clean. And so as he begins to come in and, and he begins to uh, reformat the mind of a Jew, it was hard for him. And, and they had grown up one certain way with tradition. And it was hard to break from that tradition. I'm sure that all of us, in some way, shape, manner, or form, we have traditions in our life. Um, we have traditions that have been handed down to us from maybe our grandparents or maybe even further than that. It was handed down from them to, their, to our grandparents, from their grandparents to our grandparents, and from our grandparents to our parents, and then to us, or whatever, what have you. The point is, we have traditions that are passed down to us, and we feel that we're, if we do those things, we feel like we are more holy. I know of a, a woman who was in a, uh, grew up as uh, a Catholic, and she had always learned from her grandmother uh, what a good Catholic is supposed to do and what they're supposed to you know, eat and what they're supposed to not eat and, and, and when they're supposed to go to church and how they're supposed to go to church and so on and so forth. Well, in the latter part of her life, uh, she, in, she got saved. She started walking with the Lord and what have you and she'd come to church, you know. But there was a tradition that held on so tightly to her that she had to go back and make sure that she went back to the Catholic Church because she thought, well, the Lord isn't pleased with me if that's not the case, if I don't go there. If I don't do this for the priest, if I don't go to confession, or if I don't go and do these certain things, if I don't go on these certain days, then I'm not, I'm not right before God. And, and in that, if I don't do that, uh, man, you know, God's going to be displeased with me. Why did you do, why do you do those things? Because that is what my grandmother taught me. And that's what I'll do. And that's what I'm supposed to do. And you can talk to somebody until you're blue in the face, but a tradition sometimes is a hard thing to break. The point that Paul's trying to make here is he's going, listen, guys, there's some people that understand the freedom and the liberty that we have in Christ. There are some that say, hey, listen, Go ahead and have yourself a, a, a barbecue pulled pork sandwich. And, and others are going, get that defiled meat away from me. There is no way that God could ever bless me if I eat a barbecue pulled pork sandwich. Because pork is pig, pig is swine. Swine is not lawful to eat as a Jew. Wait a minute. Through Christ... All things are lawful. Paul could sit there and growing up as a young Jewish boy and knowing scripture unlike anyone in this room because he had to memorize it. As he grew, he knew scripture backwards and forward. He memorized scripture. He became a part of the Sanhedrin council. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He excelled above his contemporaries. He was a smart, legalistic Jewish man. And he grew up that way. And here he is writing this. 
And what he's basically saying is, you know what? I can pork down a barbecue beef pulled pork sandwich or barbecue pork sandwich and and pulled pork sandwich and and just smile and laugh with the Lord because you know what? I know he's pleased with me. That's not what is making me holy or unholy. I can do that. But you know what? If I'm with a bunch of Jewish friends, I'm not going to do that because here's the thing. It's going to cause many of them to stumble. Does it make them right or me right? What makes it right? What makes it wrong? Paul says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, verse 1, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one who believes he may eat all things, one may believe that he can eat all things, but there's another who is weak and eats only vegetables. Let him who eats not despise him who doesn't eat, and let not him who does not eat despise him who does eat. For God has received both of them. So if you're a vegetarian here, and you eat vegetarian food, I don't understand it. I would not want to go down your road. I don't like that. I like vegetables, but I just like them with a porterhouse. (laughs) You know, that's just me and a lot of you. But here's the thing. There's others that say, I can't do that. Give me a porterhouse-shaped tofu steak. (laughs) Uh, I can't do it. I can't do it. But you know what? To you, if that's a good thing for you, right on. Go for it. We might have fun with you, you know. I might have fun with you. But you know what? You might have fun with me. I would not look at you. Uh, Rossi isn't a part of our church right now, and... He's just on loan to another church right now. He asked if he could go to a different church. And I said, yes, you need to come back and visit every once in a while. But um, he's got some friends at another church and he's there. I'm so proud of that kid and how he's grown up. I love that kid so much. But he became a vegan when he was in the Air Force. And we'd crack up at him. Dude, you want any chicken or anything? You want a steak? No, 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 no. I don't do that. No, no. I eat these and, and he'd eat his almonds and his fruits and nuts and vegetables and everything. And I'm going right, you know. And, and I had a freedom to talk with him and not one that, that hammered him down. And, and I said, Rossi, man, that's great. I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's awesome. I don't look down on you for wanting to be a vegan. You know, only if you're thinking it's going to make you holy. If that's what you think makes you holy, be careful. I, I, I would love to talk with you about that, but you know what? I'm, you want to be a vegan, man? Rock and roll, man. Have a good time. Now, I'm going to tease you and I'm going to laugh at you, but you can tease me and laugh at me at the food that I eat. And I think that you have one up on me because your body is in a whole lot better shape than mine is, right? And so, so you know, I would talk to him and say, what, what's it, what is it? I mean, I don't understand. Do you like it? Because it was a little hard at first. But you know what? Then it became easy. When he came back, when he got out of the military and he came back to to Florida, to Sarasota, um, it was a big thing because he says, guys, he posted, some of you guys are are part of his Facebook. He he said, I eat chicken for the first time since I've been back. (gasps) You ate chicken? 
What did it taste like? He says, it actually tasted really good, you know? And, and so he kind of started breaking back away, and I think he is eating meat again. But here's the thing. For a season, he was a vegan. And now he's eating meat again. When he was a vegan, was he more holy than me? Or was I more holy than him because I eat porterhouses? Can I tell you no? Absolutely not. The Lord loved both of us the same. When he stopped being a vegan and began to eat, became a carnivore again. <laughs> did God, was God displeased with him then? No, he wasn't. He wasn't. In fact, Paul says something in here that is, you know, and he, it's not just food. It's about days that we worship, days that we, that we acknowledge. Christmas is a big time. Christmas is a big one. How many of you guys celebrate Christmas? Well, see, I'm not going to have you. I, I shouldn't have done that because I, I, the next question would be how many of you don't, and I don't want to do that to you because here's the thing. Some of you might not celebrate Christmas. Now, here's the thing that might happen in, in some of you when someone says, well, I don't celebrate Christmas. Why? Because, number one, Christmas isn't in the Bible. It is. It was the birth of Jesus. I know. But, but if you just did any kind of a very simplistic cursory search of what Christmas is all about and how it originated, you'd go, okay, that's a little different. You know, it's, it's a celebration of the winter solstice. It's a celebration where Constantine tried to marry the world with the church and make everybody happy. The world had a celebration of the winter solstice where they were offering to false gods and what have you. And the Christians, they were bringing the, he was bringing the Christians in and saying, well, I'm getting so much backlash from the world because they really want to celebrate their winter solstice and I want to bring the Christians in because I am forcing people to be Christians. How can I, how can I uh, uh, water this thing down a little bit to where everybody's happy in the end. And so here's what we'll do. We'll say that this is the birth of Christ that Christians are celebrating. And so we'll have a mass for Christ. Christ, Christ mass. Hence we get the term. So we have Christmas. Because someone tried to marry the world, a world celebration with a Christian. Listen, nowhere in scripture do you ever see the Christians coming together and going, hey, let's celebrate the birth of Christ, except for when he was born. And even then, they didn't celebrate it because he was basically hidden, wasn't he? Those who came and celebrated were the shepherds and the animals. They celebrated. The angels had a rocking out party in heaven. Glory, glory to God, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. They, they, they celebrated in heaven. There was a party on that day. But we don't see on his first birthday that they had a birthday party for him or a second birthday or third or fourth or any other day. That doesn't mean that they didn't have something like that, but we just don't have any proof in Scripture that they ever did do that. And so the reason I'm going down this road is that some of us might be in this room going, well, Christmas is something that I celebrate and we celebrate this way and that's what we're going to do because we've always done it. Good. Rock and roll and enjoy yourself. 
I personally, I do enjoy Christmas. I don't, I don't look at it any different. I know the history. I know the history behind it. I understand how it began. I know how Easter began. Easter is just a term that has been manipulated from a false god of Ashtart. And, 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 and yet, I don't have a problem that I'm celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't have a problem with that. And I do celebrate those days. We do celebrate those as a family. And so, here's the thing. What if somebody comes to the church and says, we don't, I don't celebrate Christmas and I won't go to a church that does? I will say, I'm sorry, but we will celebrate Christmas. And there are other churches that probably don't celebrate Christmas. But if this is, you don't want to celebrate Christmas, you don't have to come on that day. You don't have to come on that day. When we had Saturday night services, there are some people that wouldn't come to our church because it was on a Saturday night and not on a Sunday morning. And here's the thing. There were some that couldn't come on a Saturday night because they had so many things that were going on on Saturday that they couldn't make it. And so it was, to that, no big deal. But there were others that couldn't come. They wouldn't come because we were having church on a a Saturday night instead of a Sunday morning. And because the church is supposed to always meet on a Sunday morning. And if Sunday morning isn't the day that we meet in a church, I'm going to go somewhere else because Jesus isn't a part of that. Well, to you, going on a Saturday night, it would be a sin. But to me, I have a, no problem. In fact, I know that there were some of you guys that really kind of were bummed a little bit that we went back to a Sunday morning because the Saturday night was kind of cool. Saturday night is kind of a cool thing. I mean, it's a whole different dynamic. We did it for a few years, and there was a whole different dynamic. Was Were we more holy when we were teaching and, and worshiping on a Saturday night and having our church service, our one church service of the week on a Saturday night? Were we any more holy then than we are right now because we have a church service on a Sunday morning? Absolutely not. Now, there would be some that would say, well, the true Sabbath is on a Saturday, and so, yeah, I'm behind yet. Well, Paul's sitting here, and he's saying, one person esteems, in verse 5, he says, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he doesn't observe it, okay? He who eats, he eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. But he who doesn't eat to the Lord, he doesn't eat, and yet he still gives God thanks. There's no difference in your relationship with the Lord I'm not more holy or I'm not more unholy if I don't do it the way that you think it needs to happen. There's a freedom and there's a liberality that we have in Christ that has never, ever been experienced in the world up until the day that Christ died. And, and so it, it was not a shock in Acts chapter 10 when a sheet came down as Peter conked out and he was passed out having a you know, you know a little midday siesta, sleep. And he has this dream of a sheet, great white sheet coming down from heaven. And on that sheet, there were all sorts of unclean animals, pigs and lobster and shrimp and scallops. I am so thankful for Jesus coming. I love the resurrection because I love those foods. 
Even though people try to say, well, you know, those are just the roaches of the, of the ocean floor. I don't care. They're living in water and they're cleansed all the time. I don't care. And I eat them well. Bring on the roaches. But here's the thing. Not real roaches, but yeah, don't take that little sound bite and take it out of context. <laughs> here's the thing. When that sheet came out of heaven and came down... Jesus said to Peter, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And then Peter says something that is so contradictory. He says, not so, Jesus. Can I ask you, pray tell me, when can you ever say, no way, Lord? When Jesus says, do something, you go, nope, not doing it, Jesus. Not doing it, Lord. Not going to do it. Peter did it a couple times. Jesus says, listen, what I have called clean, you shall no longer call unclean. you tell me I can have a barbecue pulled pork sandwich? Yep, Pete. And when you do, cook me one too. Is <laughs> he? Here's the thing. He was into it, man. I mean, it was awesome. But here's the thing. There's some people that are going, no, that's just defiling your body because you know what? It says here, and I don't, I don't like it. And I think that it's a bad thing to have. And I don't mean to make it sound like this person is a weird person because they're not. They're not a weird person. If to them it's, it's unclean to eat pork, then, then don't eat pork. It doesn't make you any less holy or any more holy. Nor in your liberality, eating a, a steak doesn't make you any more of a Christian because you understand the, the, the liberality that we have in Christ. Paul says, listen... Paul's a meat eater. Paul eats those barbecue pulled pork sandwiches. Paul kind of slightly says, listen, he says, receive one who's weak in the faith. The people who are weak in the faith, they don't eat this barbecue stuff. They only eat vegetables. Now, I understand there's some people that eat vegetables and they're in that, that you know, they, 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 they eat in that persuasion, they stay away from meat because of health issues. Right on. I have no problem with that. And I don't consider them weak. The point is, it is, and I said that for one of our lovely members of our church, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Makes no one more holy or me less holy or you more holy or me more holy. It doesn't make any... We are the same at the foot of the cross. You know why? Because Christ made it all clean. In fact, i got to hurry. Here's what Paul says. If you're going to sit there and judge, know this, you're going to be standing before the Lord and you're going to get judged one of these days. And here's the thing. I think that we make a big deal out of a lot of things that God never makes a big deal out of. You agree with that statement? You think that maybe we make a huge, big, great, big deal out of things that God doesn't really make a big deal out of? Let me read this. Listen. Churches split over stupid things. Because people make a big deal out of certain things. There was a, a, a church, a Holy Creek Baptist Church split. It was a hundred year old church over the piano bench on whether it should stay or whether it should go. You know, there was a church. Here's another thing. In Centerville, Georgia. Let me just read this to you. This is, this is awesome. Centerville, Georgia. The small community of Centerfield, Centerfield, 
Georgia, has a population of just over, listen to me, 5,000 people. But with a total of 48 Presbyterian churches. They also hold the record for the most number of Presbyterian churches in a small town. The higher number of churches has to do with multiple splits that have taken place over the years because of one issue or another. Originally, in 1899, only one Presbyterian church existed, simply known as Centerville Presbyterian Church, with about 20 families. The church was, at that time, the largest in the Centerville area. By 1911, mind you, it started in 1899. Here it is 12 years later. The church had grown to almost 150 members, a considerably large church at that time, but a dispute had arisen within the congregation over whether or not the offering should be taken before or after the sermon. I mean, that's just, I mean, that is a RCA dog look. Really? Really? What matters? But it did to somebody. Thus, the first split took place. With the dissenting congregation forming, Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church. Four years later, in 1915, a dispute arose among members of the Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church over the issue of regulative principle of worship. It seems that some members of this church liked the idea of having flowers in the sanctuary while others objected. And as a result, this church split and Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church of Centerville was organized with 25 members. Several more splits took place over the various issues between the years of 1915 and 1929. It was in 1931 that another dispute arose amongst the members of 7th Presbyterian Reformed Covenantal Church of Centerville. You start running out of names, don't you? Okay, hey. Over an issue that no one can even seem to remember, nor do any records indicate. Suffice it to say that approximately half the congregation split away and nine people formed Third Westminster Trinity Covenant Presbyterian Reformed Church of Centerville. Again, more splits took place between 1931 and 1975 when a major split took place within the PCUS denomination over the issue of merging with the more liberal PCUSA. At the time, 11th Westminster Covenant Presbyterian Church of of Centerville voted to remain in the PCUS with the merger. Fifteen members broke off and formed St. John's Presbyterian Church. One week later, St. John's Presbyterian Church split over the choice of a name for the church as several members objected to using the word saint in the name of a reformed church. Since 1975, several more splits have happened, with the most recent occurring in this past weekend. This was a January 30th, 2008 article. Um, This past weekend, another split when a dispute arose among the members of the 2nd Street, 1st, 9th, Westminster Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church over the issue of the observance of the Lord's Day. The issue in question was whether or not it was acceptable for someone to check their email on the Sabbath. Get your phones down. We're going to have a split. Those who objected have now split off and formed... You ready? The Presbyterian, totally reformed, covenantal, Westminsterian, Sabbatarian, regulative, credo-communist, commune, communist, a millennial presuppositional church of Centerville. A teaching elder, Paul Davis, says, I think we finally got it right now. 
We now have a church with a 100% doctrinal purity. P-T-R-C-W-R-S-R-C-C-A-P-C-C is hoping to grow and help outreach in the community. Would you like to be the secretary of that church? Presbyterian Toady Reform Covenant of Westminster and Cemetery and Regulative Credo Communism Millennial Presbyterian Church of Centerville. How may I help you? Just go. Here's the thing. People split over some really, really, really silly things, don't they? They split over really, really, really silly things. And what Paul's trying to do is head that off the past because here's what was happening even back then. And it's happening in us even today is that we begin to major in the minors and we begin to uh, minor in the majors. We lose context. We, We lose what we are supposed to be doing over the stupid little menial things that cause division within the body of Christ. We have been called to do one thing. Jesus said it. What did he say? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. He never got into the disputes that people wanted to get into. He focused on the majors. And when we lose sight of the majors and we begin to focus on the minors, we become non-effective as believers. Because the world looks at us and laughs as we have just laughed at this church. And I laughed and looked at this and was shocked when I read it and looked at it. And I'm laughing and just going, my goodness, us humans are just silly, aren't we? Lord, how do you even put up with us? And here's the thing. Do you know that the Lord loves those guys just as much as he loves you? They just are focusing the wrong thing. Do you know what? They love the Lord. They really want to do what's right. And they're just going down roads that are not necessarily roads that I would have gone down. The point is, we got to make sure that we are focusing on the things that the Lord would focus on. Paul said, I know, in verse 14, I'm not going to get to Colossians chapter 2, but I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Did you just hear what he just said? I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. What's clean, what's unclean? Paul says there's nothing unclean. If you've got a pure heart before the Lord and God is good with you doing it, then do it. Rock and roll. But don't press your convictions on someone else. Because by doing so, you start dividing the body of Christ. And Pastor Chuck used to say something that has, it was, it was a, one of those statements that someone says that sticks in your brain and you never can get rid of it. That statement stuck in my brain. And he said, when the body of Christ is divided, pray tell who bleeds. You understand that statement? When the body of Christ is divided, us 
Pray tell, who bleeds? Is it us? No, it's the body of Christ. We're focusing on the wrong things, maybe. So we need to be careful. Now, that's not to say that, hey, go and live any old way you want, even if it's in, you know, uh, contradiction to what the Word of God says, because you can do it. Because if you're free to do it, go for it. In fact, there was a guy that felt that way that he dealt with, and I've got to hurry up with this, but there was a guy that he, he dealt with in the Corinthian church, a church in Corinth, where this guy, he actually was sleeping with his dad's wife. And so I don't know if it was, I don't think it was his mom, but it was his stepmom at least. But he's sleeping with his dad's wife. And, and Paul says, this is what he says. Listen, this is what he says. He says, it, he says, um, if I can get to it. He says, uh, it's actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality among you and, and such sexual immorality is, this sexual immorality is not even named amongst the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And church in Corinth, you guys are puffed up. And you've not rather mourned because you've accepted it in and said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's all right. If it's not sin to him, then it's not sin to us. So you see there's a balance there. There's an understanding that life has got to measure itself up and the liberty that we have needs to measure itself up with Scripture. If Scripture contradicts the way that I'm living my life, then stop living that way. The Bible repeatedly states not to have these types of relationships. And yet this guy felt the freedom to do it and the church wanting to be all inclusive and say, hey, we are that church that accepts everything because we accept everyone. And it's okay to accept everyone. But just because we accept people to come into this church doesn't mean that we accept a lifestyle or a lifestyle of sin. You know, and that is kind of a buzz term right now, right? Because if I say lifestyle, we immediately all go to one place. And what place is that? It's homosexuality, isn't it? We all think of homosexuality when I talk about lifestyle. But you know, drug use is a lifestyle that, that some have in, you know, entered into. Drug addictions, pornography, extramarital affairs. That's a lifestyle that some people have entered into. Does that mean I'm not going to let them come into this church either? Absolutely not. I welcome them with open arms. And we should all welcome them with open arms. But it doesn't mean that we sit there and say, it's okay. It's not that we beat down on one sin. Sometimes it sounds like we are. And because it's a buzzword that's out there, homosexuality is the thing that is, is, is hitting all of us. But here, it, that is the hot topic. And they might think, well, that's all the church talks about. No, the church doesn't talk about that. The church talks about this. Do you have sin in your life? Uproot it and get it out of your life because I don't care what it is. You may not be a homosexual, but whatever sin you are in and you continue to be in is a practicing sin that you need to root out of your life. 
It doesn't mean I'm kicking you out of this church. It just means that you're here to hear the word of God to say, do not be comfortable in sin. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying this church has not only allowed this couple to come into the, into the church, but they're actually saying, hey, we accept you. We accept your lifestyle. We accept everything that you're doing. It's okay that you're sleeping with your dad's wife. Paul says, that's not the case. Don't do that. I don't know how else you can read this. It is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man is his father's wife. And you, church, are puffed up and you've not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken out from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present concerning him who has, done, who has so done this deed, that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as far as, as, as for you, church, that are welcoming this and accepting the practice and allowing it to continue on and not addressing the issue, here's the thing. Your glorying, he says in verse 6, is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For Christ indeed, our Passover was sacrificed for us. And so, um, and then he goes on and he talks about now, I, and, and so you sit there and you go, well, okay, so what Paul's saying is you want to get rid of all the sexual immoral, uh, immoral people. Remove them. Get rid of them. He goes on three verses later. He says, I wrote to you in my, in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of the world. He's saying... It's not the world that we want to push out. It's the world that we want to invite in. It's the world that we want to reach. Those are the people that Paul's saying, I want us to reach. It's the church that's sitting there indulging in sexual immorality that is finding confidence and finding boldness and finding liberality with it and saying that God is okay with it, that Paul's saying you need to purge that out of your system. You need to purge that out of your church. But Paul says, if you thought that I meant that you are not to keep company with sexually immoral people, you got it wrong. You didn't understand what I said. That's what he's saying in verse 10 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, I didn't certainly, I cert, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or with the extortioners or with the idolaters. Since then, you'd need to go up out of the world. You'd have to get out of the world to do that. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Named a brother in Christ is what he's talking about. Named a brother, a, a fellow believer that's saying, oh yeah, well, hey, I've got a wife and a mistress and I'm perfectly good with that. You shouldn't be good with that, brother. You shouldn't be good with that. That is an abomination before God. See, I, I'll hammer that same point as I would hammer a, a, a Christian saying, well, God is okay with my homosexuality. No, God is not okay with your homosexuality just as much as God is not okay with a, a man having a mistress. He's not okay with any of that. You need to purge that out of your system. You've got to purge that out of your church. But not the, not the world, lest they not find Christ. Lest they not find Christ. I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother 
who's a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are on the outside? Do you not judge those who are on the inside? Those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. So here's the thing. The point is, is God is saying, listen, there's a liberality that we have that is not a salvation issue. There's a liberality that we have that is not, that is not something that Scripture specifically says, do not do. Leave them alone. You know, the Colossians 2 passage says, you know, there are those that are going to try to lie to you with empty philosophies and vain, vain philosophies and empty deceit. And they will try to put on you certain Sabbaths or certain moons and they judge you according to so many different things, certain days, certain seasons. You shouldn't be celebrating Christmas. Well, you know what? I celebrate it. Get over it. You celebrate Easter. That's not, the Lord doesn't celebrate that. Well, he rose again. That's what I celebrate, and I celebrate that. I'm thankful that he did that. So here's the thing. If it bothers you, I'm sorry. Stay away from me on that day, but come back and and let's fellowship another day. Because you know what? Let's not divide the body of Christ. There's too much of the world that's looking on us in the church and going, look at all of the infighting. A city of 5,000 people have 48 churches that have split. That's a shame. That's a shame. Because we can't focus on the majors. The point is here, listen, live for the Lord as you're convinced and convicted in your heart. Follow Him. And if you're, if you're new in the faith, Listen, you're not going to get it perfect. If you're old in the faith, can I just tell you this? You don't have all of the answers. I have been a Christian for a very, very, very long time. And I know Christians for, that have been Christians for a very, very long time. They didn't have all the answers. Billy Graham didn't have all the answers, still doesn't. Chuck Smith didn't have all the answers. He does now. He's in heaven. We don't have all the answers. But Christ does. And my job is to point people to Jesus and let him clean them. Right? Isn't that our job? Let's let God do the job. Let's not us force ourselves on someone. Let's just introduce them to Christ. That takes the weight off our shoulders. This should be a liberating message for all of us. I don't have to sit and go out and argue with people about what's right and what's wrong. I just have to go out and tell them about Jesus because the Bible says all have sinned. I don't, I don't care what sin you're involved in. Here's the thing. Whatever sin you're involved in, you're a sinner. And Christ wants to set you free. He set me free. Our sin might have been different, but here's the thing. The offer is just as open to you as it was to me. And God took some of those things out of my life that were not in line with him. And, and it's in that that I found that through reading his word. And I've grown in him. And, and, and so here's the thing. I may not be everything that God wants me to be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. And he continues to change me on a day-by-day basis. And he wants to do that in your life too. Because really when it all boils down to one thing, it's all going to matter about what God thinks. Not what this world thinks. It's 
It's part of my message that I had yesterday at the memorial service. Every one of us will one day, should the Lord tarry, we're all going to have a tombstone. We're all going to have a marker that has our birth date and has our death date. And in the middle of that marker, or in the, mar- in the middle of those two dates, is going to be one little dash line, about two, two inches. And that's going to be the summation of your life. Your life is a dash marked by a birth and marked by a death. And it doesn't really matter how much the world, you got along with the world or how much you were so in step with the world or anything like that because that dash right there is going to mean a lot when you come to that last date, which is your death date. Because after that dash and that death date, immediately on that very moment, on that death date that you close your eyes for the last time, that dash is going to be laid before Christ. It's going to be laid before God. And the world, you're not doing, the world isn't going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. Your parents aren't going to judge you. Your grandparents, your friends, your co-workers, who, nobody else is going to judge you. There's one that's going to judge what that dash meant. And you know what? The really, the only thing that really is going to matter at that time, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Gang, that is our goal. That is our call. That is our commission to go out and point people to Jesus Christ and quit arguing over the minors. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. Bless this time. Sink it down deep into our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to see the, 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 person, the, 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 the personal nature of Paul's letter to the believers that were very much like us that he wrote to in Rome, that that letter has passed on down from generation to generation until here it is in our own hands today and we have reflected on a portion of that letter today. Help us to learn from those very personal words, from that strong exhortation from Paul to be focused on you and you alone and to be very conscious and conscientious over those who do not espouse the same views that we have, and yet they are believers, and here's the thing, we just, we don't force on them our liberal, or our liberality, but we, we accept them and say, hey, right on. God bless you. As hard as it is sometimes, Lord, if, if eating a porterhouse is going to make a vegetarian or vegan friend of mine very uncomfortable if I'm sitting at a table with them, then Lord, I'll eat a vegetable dish. It's not going to hurt me or kill me to eat vegetables for a night. And in so doing, Lord, it is truly a brotherly olive branch that is passed across the table saying, you know what? You are worth more to me than the food that goes in my stomach because I love you. And so, Lord, we lift up our lives to you. We pray, God, that they would be pleasing in your sight and help us to focus on the things that you care about and not the things that we do. And help us to know the difference. In Jesus' name, amen.